Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're two weeks away from the official start of summer. And as you prepare for vacation season, newer, more transmissible COVID variants are causing a renewed spike in coronavirus cases. But what does that mean for your travel plans and your family gatherings this summer? On today's show, we're speaking with experts in the worlds of epidemiology, medicine, and infection prevention so that you have the latest information and advice available to persevere through this latest phase of the pandemic. We'll also check in with you for your questions, experiences, and how you're handling it all. That's next on Detroit Today, but first, the news from NPR. Day and welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Things have changed a lot in the two plus years since the novel coronavirus came on the scene. We sheltered in place, distanced six feet from our loved ones, dealt with mutating variant waves and wavering mask mandates. We then gained access to life saving vaccines developed with unprecedented speed. But all of the preparation and navigating we did to keep one another safe. It seems hard for many of us to continue to do it, to convince others with concerts and festivals returning and the desire to congregate with our communities that sometimes still we do need to wear masks and quarantine from others. Last month marked one million COVID deaths in the United States. And now, according to the CDC, much of southeast Michigan, including Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, Monroe and Washtenaw counties are experiencing a high rate of transmission yet again. This leaves us with questions. How much caution should we take around COVID-19? How vulnerable are we if we get infected? What does this pandemic look like going forward? Here to help us with these questions is Dr. Kilgore, a Wayne State University medical researcher. Dr. Kilgore, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Nick. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to have you back. I know you were here in January and already still just six months later, it seems things have changed, including there's a new strain that uh, we are finding out about now in COVID. Can you tell us the latest and what's been happening since you've been on here in January? You bet, Nick. Uh, You're absolutely right. In fact, um, since January, we've seen the rise of what we call new variant subvariants of Omicron. Excuse me. The Omicron variant we knew was circulating last year quite widely. The new subvariants that everyone should know about include the BA4 and the BA5. Now, even before these two new subvariants came on the scene, we were seeing this Omicron variant we call the BA2121. And right now in the United States, um, if I could simplify it for everyone, there are really four strains that are circulating and causing COVID-19. The BA2121 is causing about 62% of all infections. The BA2 right now is causing about 25% of infections. And then we have the BA4, it's about 5.4%, and the BA5, 7.6%. The bottom line is that we are seeing a replacement of the older strains with these newer strains. They are more fit, they're better adapted to infecting all of us, and they are very efficient. In fact, Nick, I would consider them to be almost hyper-transmissible in their ability to cause infection with very little um, uh, exposure, actually. And that really leads me to underscore one key message for today. And that is, if you haven't started your COVID-19 vaccine, definitely go out and get your first dose. And if you haven't had your second dose, go for the second dose. We know that populations across Michigan and actually across the United States are not at the coverage level for vaccination that we really need to prevent serious disease. And we know, for example, in Michigan, that we're running at overall coverage rates um, that are roughly around 58%. Uh, 58% of Michiganders have completed the primary series. But then if we look at the entire population of Michigan, we're really talking about a, a group of residents where if we look at age five and over, only about 35% of everyone has received the booster dose. And it's the booster dose that I also want to underscore today. 
Because if you've gotten the primary series, that's fantastic. But keep in mind one key thing. When you get vaccinated, over time, the antibody levels that you get with vaccines do go down. They wane over time. That booster dose is critical to keeping that antibody level up to the point where you will be protected against severe disease, being at risk to go to the hospital or even dying. And Nick, one of the things I wanted to mention too is that uh, if we look at the models, and there's many mathematical modelers who are expert in predicting trends over time for COVID-19, one of the predictions that we're starting to see now for July, and we're already looking into July with what's going to happen with COVID-19, and the new model predictions are forecasting a range of deaths for COVID-19 in the range of 1,600 to 4,200 new deaths in the United States. When we look at the range of new predicted hospitalizations, we're talking about a range from 1,700 to 11,000 new confirmed COVID-19 hospital admissions. And that's just before the July 4th holiday. So one of the things I really want to emphasize for people today is with the upcoming holidays, particularly July 4th, when we want to get together, we want to go to the picnics and get together for the barbecues and also get out there for the fireworks. We want to be protected when we start to get into those crowds because the new strains, these subvariants I mentioned, the BA4 and the BA5, very efficient going from person to person. So by getting vaccinated, you will prevent and stop that transmission between yourself and other people and not only protect yourself and family members, but protect everyone else around you. I think that's a big message, and I appreciate that you bring it up, Paul. It's not just about you, although that's important for you. It's about others. And you also mentioned, however, a little bit about vaccine hesitancy, how there are some people who may have got uh, the, the two shots but haven't gotten the third or are still waiting to get a shot. But we do have the announcement that there's a fourth vaccine now on the scene, potentially uh, what Novavax is coming forward. Is there anything about this newer vaccine that they have uh, announced that might be able to uh, bring somebody who was a little hesitant over to say, all right, now's the time for me to jump in. Is there something different that we could use as an argument to our family members or let them know about this newer vaccine that they're providing? Absolutely, Nick. It's a great point. So a couple of things that people can know about the Novavax vaccine. One is that it's safe and effective in preventing COVID-19, particularly severe disease and hospitalization, just like the other vaccines that we have. But the Novavax vaccine is what we call a recombinant protein, a recombinant antigen vaccine. What that means, essentially, is that instead of using mRNA or instead of using a live vector, adenovirus vector, for example, like in the J&J vaccine case, this vaccine actually has the spike protein preassembled. And as it's assembled into a vaccine, the spike protein is the important antigen. That's what boosts you. That's what gives you the antibody against the virus. Um, That is part of the vaccine. That's the key part of the vaccine. But it's already put together. It's already assembled. The mRNA doesn't have to be processed in the cells. It's already made for you. And so immediately your immune system will begin to recognize and process that spike protein to make antibody against it. It also has a unique adjuvant. An adjuvant is part of a vaccine that allows us to get a very, very good, long-lasting immune response And one of the reasons why this vaccine is different and unique also is that it has not been processed in cell lines that were used in previous vaccines as well. So it means that overall, when we look at the safety of this vaccine, um, it looks very good for the U.S. population. It looks great for many age groups. And over time, we're going to see it looked at in younger age groups. But for right now, Um, The data that was reviewed by the FDA committee, this was just yesterday and and a couple days ago, actually, that process and that review was as rigorous as it was for every other vaccine that we have for COVID-19 and previous vaccines for that matter. So the bottom line is when this vaccine becomes available um, going forward after it gets reviewed by the ACIP and other folks, those vaccines are going to be available in the United States, we hope. And that would be another option for people to take advantage of. Right now, we don't know about mixed or mixing and matching with vaccines and Novavax vaccine. For example, if you got the Pfizer vaccine, the J&J vaccine first, could you go get a Novavax booster? 
We should have more data coming out on that in the next few weeks. But for the time being, if you had the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or J&J vaccine, first, go ahead and get your booster with that same vaccine. And then later on, as we learn more about Novavax vaccine, if you haven't gotten any vaccine, that could be an option. Uh, but certainly Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J are out there for those. Um, depending on where you live and your access to the vaccines, my recommendation is get the vaccine that you have access to right now. And um, in, in my case, we're, we've been studying the Moderna vaccine and the J&J vaccine in Detroit. Those are both well-performing options. Um, also, the Pfizer vaccine is widely available. Those vaccines are out there. I know there's doses available at local pharmacies and clinics. So after you listen to me today, please call your pharmacy and your clinic and go out and schedule that next vaccine dose. Well, we're understanding that the importance is just the vaccine and also making sure you're taking care of your boosters as we're talking to Dr. Paul Kilgore, an infectious disease expert out of Wayne State University. But, Doctor, I do have to ask you, I know there's a lot of people out there who are listening. Let's say you're someone who enjoys NPR. You are responsible around your friends and family. You got your uh, two doses. You got your booster. But the summer is coming and you, you've already been infected as well. Uh, there have been people who have said, oh, well, you're pretty good at this point in time. Uh, is there any concern about reinfection for individuals who have been fully uh, vaccinated, boosted, already obtained COVID, but still uh, now want to go out? Is there a risk of uh, obtaining the virus again? Asking for a friend. Yeah. So this is a great question. In, in fact, a reinfection can happen or infections can happen among people that have been vaccinated. But one of the key things that is very important for everyone to know is that if I compare two people and the two or three people that I would compare, one is a person that's completely unvaccinated. And if I infect that person with COVID-19, I can guarantee that they're going to have more severe disease. They're potentially going to be admitted to the hospital, um, potentially visit the emergency room, and maybe even have to go to the ICU and, and hopefully this won't happen, but they could be at risk for death as well, depending on their underlying medical conditions. That person um, is one example, but if I contrast them with someone that's been vaccinated with two doses of the vaccine, an individual who has gotten that primary series done, that's one dose of J&J or two doses of Pfizer or two doses of Moderna, those individuals are much more likely to have a milder infection to tolerate the infection, of course, they're going to be at home resting, hydrating, taking in fluids, sleeping well, but they're going to be able to avoid the need to go into a hospital more than likely because their disease syndrome or their clinical presentation is going to be much less severe than someone who did not have any uh, vaccine. You know, now, oh, go ahead, continue, please. I was just going to say one more quick thing. That, that person contrasts with the individual who's gotten a booster now. So, the individual who's gotten a booster uh, after the primary series of the vaccine is even more likely to have milder disease. What that means is that that booster is providing that extra oomph of IgG antibody, that neutralizing antibody that we all need. And that person who's boosted is going to have less of a risk of more severe disease that will put them in the hospital, emergency room, and even in the ICU. This is very important uh, information, again, because you mentioned already that we're looking at an increase in uh, the local area and hospitals. So don't need to place any more stress on those areas than they're already undergoing. And we will be getting to calls a little bit later on. So I would like to know, what are you thinking of the current pandemic? I mean, is it a still big deal to you? Uh, has it changed your plans for what you're doing over the summer? Or, or what are your friends telling you about it? What's your experience been in the pandemic if you're out there listening here to Detroit today? Day. Give us a call, 313-577-1019, and we will get in touch with you and love to discuss that, especially even if you have questions for Dr. Kilgore, who joins me right now. Dr. Kilgore, another announcement that I've seen is that there's an oral antiviral drug that people can take afterwards. So perhaps there's individuals out there thinking, well, I don't trust vaccines. Now that there's this oral, why can't I just rely on the oral? What would you say to that individual? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, Nick. And I think the answer is that, yes, there absolutely is this drug, Paxlovid. It's a very important tool in our fight against COVID-19. But here's the key point. 
you never want to try to wait to get a disease and experience the disease and try to predict what's going to happen to you when you know that there's a tool that you can actually use to minimize the impact of the disease or even prevent it. Because I'll tell you, all bets are off when people get exposed to COVID-19 and that virus. And the reason for this is very simple. Every one of our immune systems is different. My immune system is different from yours and everyone else. What that means also is that the underlying medical conditions that one individual has could play a very big role in how their body will handle the virus. And you never want to risk your body not being able to deal with the virus and also trying to work through the healthcare system to get this drug on short notice, particularly if it's a weekend or a late night and, and you're feeling very sick with COVID-19 it can be difficult to navigate the healthcare system and it can be difficult at times to get the drug on short notice. So my strategy, my strongest recommendation is for everyone to get the primary series, get the booster, and you will have a much better chance to handle the disease if, in fact, you do get infected. Again, another excellent point that you bring up there. And uh, speaking of uh, the risk that we've been discussing here as we're discussing uh, the current state of the COVID pandemic, I know for a lot of people, uh, with the information that you get out there, it can be difficult to track. But one of the things people would say is during the summer, you would expect lesser transmission. Dr. Fauci mentioned in April that uh, potentially we were transitioning out of the pandemic phase. A lot of people are wondering when are we going to get over this? Do we have that kind of information yet? Has there been any increased insight since we last spoke to you in January on what we need to do or how, if the end, if we can see it in view? Right. So uh, Dr. Fauci made a good point. And, you know, all other things being equal, if the virus stayed the same, didn't mutate or change, and if we could predict the seasonality of this respiratory virus, like other respiratory viruses, we often see them more often in the wintertime, the colder months, where viral transmission and droplet spread is much easier with lower humidity weather. But many viruses actually can circulate in the summertime. Parainfluenzas and other viruses can be found in the summertime. Now we're seeing COVID-19 being able to transmit in the summer. The other thing that is really important to know is that as the virus has mutated, it's become much more efficient at causing infections. And one of the things that we know is that the COVID-19 virus is best at attaching to those receptors in your nose. So the receptors in your nose, we know, have the ACE2 receptor. The virus attaches to the ACE2 receptor, and from there will spread systemically and cause infection throughout your body. We want to avoid that exposure if we can, if we're in close quarters with people. So if you are on a plane, my recommendation personally If you're going on a plane or in your public transportation where you're close quarters with people, wear a mask. And if you can get an N95 or a blue surgical-type mask, that's fantastic. I would recommend that because even though the vaccines are good and you've been boosted, keep in mind not everyone around you has been boosted yet. In fact, um, we're seeing rates of infection over the past two weeks rise in several states. We know this is happening. We also know, for example, in Detroit, um, only about one in five have been boosted. So we know that the virus is going to be circulating this summer, even though it's warmer weather, um, and the virus is mutated. So it's really adapted very well to our uh, not only climate and situation here in Michigan, but also to the human body. And that's one key thing I think that everyone should know and uh, take that home to protect themselves. Well, that's one of the things that we're certainly going to want to get into, uh, Dr. Kilgore. We're going to be coming up on a break. We've still got phone lines open, and we're going to get to Steve in Huntington Woods as well as Tracy in Dearborn. But when we come back on the other side, I will be asking about what we can best do when there's so many people around us who are not vaccinated and boosted. What's the best strategies in that case as well? We'll get into those phone calls and come back with more Detroit Today in just a moment. You're 
listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, joined right now by Dr. Paul Gilgore, an infectious disease expert out of Wayne State. Doctor, we've got phone calls and phone lines coming up, but before uh, we get to those calls, Stephen Huntington-Woods, you're going to be coming up next. Uh, I do believe you had a point. I want to let you go ahead and state that. Yeah, you know, I think um, when I think about what's happening this summer, and I think about the continued transmission of the virus and the fact that we know people are going to have the opportunity to be exposed to the virus. Not only do we want people to get the primary series and the boosters, I mentioned, very important, but I would also want people to keep in mind a couple more things. One is make sure that you start to look at your own health and take a look at making sure that you have all of your medical conditions under control and well-managed. And what I mean by that is taking a look at what medications you're taking, look at what your blood pressure levels are doing if you have a history of high blood pressure, making sure also if you have diabetes that you're monitoring your blood sugars and checking your hemoglobin A1C with your doctor, and making sure that you go to your doctor, schedule that checkup now if you haven't had your checkup yet this year, and make sure you get in the clinic it's great to be able to talk with a doctor, healthcare provider. A pharmacist is also a great source of information where you can go in, get some advice on medications that you're taking, best strategies to avoid complications of any conditions that you have already, because this can go a long way to avoiding complications if you happen to become infected with SARS coronavirus 2 and COVID 19. It's very good to know. Thank you. We've got phone lines right now. Coming up, Steve in Huntington Woods. You're up on Detroit Today. Hi there. Hey there. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. Um, This is kind of a specific question, but I've been vaccinated. I've been boosted. But I went on a trip, and uh, my wife caught COVID, and, of course, she gave it to me. We did the uh, antivirals right away, and basically I slept for two days And this was about a month ago. Uh, We have a trip to Europe planned in September. And I'm wondering, should I wait till one of these newer vaccines come out? Or should I get another booster right away? Um, You know, having COVID, I have people that have had COVID and said, well, I don't need the vaccine now. And I don't know if that's really true. I don't think it is. My symptoms were pretty mild, but I'm just, you didn't really answer the question about being boosted and having the, having the virus. Um, you know, what should you do? I think it's a more common uh, situation than you think. Maybe save the Europe part. But, uh, doctor, uh, yeah. what would be the best thing for someone in that situation? Right. So, uh, Nick, uh, Steve is absolutely right. You know, one of the things that happens when you are first vaccinated and then you get the illness, you get infected, um, you're certainly going to get a boost to your immune system. And your immune system has two key parts that I want people to know about. One are those cells that make antibody for example, the IgG antibody. The other part of the immune system is really functional T cells. These T cells are working to make sure um, that your body can fight against viruses and some other pathogens. Both the T cells and the B cells are important in our immunity to COVID-19. And after Steve has had the exposure and illness, he's boosted his immune system um, over and above what he had from the vaccination. So in that sense, he's had some benefit, and I'm glad he's recovered and is planning already another trip. My recommendation would be um, before he goes on his next trip, um, I would recommend, and it sounds like if it's in September, um, he may be away for a few weeks, um, getting into the cooler months, uh, potentially in Europe or other countries or other regions in Europe we certainly know COVID-19 is circulating. We know they have the new strains there. My recommendation would be for him to get that additional booster before he travels. And the other reason, of course, Nick, is that on the airplane, especially on long-haul flights, um, we're talking about a situation where there's a much better chance to be exposed to SARS-CoV-2 um, on a plane when you're on the plane physically for six or more hours. And so for that reason, not only would I recommend the booster, but Steve, when you travel, 
Uh, for you and your wife on the airplane, I do recommend wearing a mask when you're not eating or having a sip of water um, because that will help minimize your exposure to any circulating virus on the airplane. I want to thank you so much again, Steve, for calling and hope that that helps. We've got another question. John in Rochester, you are on Detroit Today. Hello. Hi. Uh, Go ahead with your question. Doctor, uh, I've heard that the current vaccines aren't effective against Omicron. Doctor, uh, there has been some rumor going out that since the uh, current vaccines, the Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, were developed before the Omicron variant was really a thing, uh, that it's not as effective or barely effective against uh, the current strains that we're dealing with. What response do you have for people who have that concern? Right. I've also heard this concern and, and talked to many people about it. And so there's one key concept that I want Uh, John, to make sure he hears about here today. That is the concept of cross-protection. And cross-protection is this concept that when we vaccinate for one particular strain or type of a virus, the antibodies that we get from that vaccination will protect us from from infection with related strains. Now, the most recent circulating variants or strains that we have are the Omicron, the Omicron subvariants that I mentioned. So I'm talking about the BA4, the BA5, the BA2, and the other one, which is the more common one, the BA2.12.1. Okay. The cross protection does happen with the vaccine that we have right now. So you do get benefit from the vaccine against the currently circulating Omicron variants and their subvariants. So that's a very important concept. It may not be 100% perfect. And I always tell every one of my students, everyone that I talk to, there is no such thing as a perfect vaccine. In other words, there's no such thing as a vaccine where you're going to get 100% protection uh, forever and ever. But Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say one of my uh, favorite teachers back in uh, secondary school said, never let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I think the key thing that John should also take home and understand is that by getting more than more than one dose, getting the two dose series for Pfizer, Moderna, one dose for J&J and getting the boosters will help you overcome any lower antibody levels or waning immunity. And one of the things that we know from the studies very clearly is that when we boost up our antibody levels, John, it means that we're actually protecting ourselves against the original strain that is the one the vaccine was originally designed to target, and we're getting that better boosted antibody against Omicron and the Omicron subvariants. So cross-protection is the key word I wanted to make sure um, I mention again. It's a very important concept as we move forward. Now, I do know that the FDA and NIH and all the collaborators are working on new vaccines that are tailored to the additional subvariants and variants that are out there now. Um, but that should never be a deterrent to getting the vaccines that we have right now because the key thing is the total level of antibody. And you want to maximize that total level of antibody you have in your own body. The only way we know to do that right now is by getting the booster from the, uh, after the uh, primary series. John in Rochester, that was an excellent question. Thank you much for calling and uh, for your input today on the show. Coming up next right now, actually, I should say, we have Tracy in Dearborn. Tracy, you're on Detroit Today with Dr. Paul Kilgore. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, My family has been very diligent during COVID. Um, We did have one person that uh, was sick um, last October, quite bad. But overall, uh, all my family is boosted based on their risk and age. Um, We recently, my daughter is uh, 35 weeks pregnant. She's an emergency room nurse. She lives in Austin, Texas. We, um, of course, wanted to celebrate uh, having a new baby coming into the family. So several of my family members uh, went to Austin and this was just in the past few weeks. And uh, ultimately, about eight of us ended up with COVID. 
we were all diligent on the plane, even though I can honestly say the airports, there's not a lot of people wearing masks. I wore a KN95 mask on the plane, both to and from. Um, but in the meantime, just to make this comment of the people that got COVID, it's quite interesting to me that uh, the people who are double boosted, they actually had, and that includes me, um, that we actually had more like a cold, you know, sneezing maybe one day, slight, slight fever the first day, that went away. Then the others, including my daughter who's pregnant, she only is uh, uh, able to get the one, you know, booster, which she did last October, I believe. She and my son-in-law did get it. They were a little sicker than probably we were having more extended, uh, you know, symptoms as they're getting through it. But the one uh, person who got it the worst is my great niece, who's going to be 12 next month. And of course, only her parents definitely got both of their kids the vaccines as far as the appropriate age or whatever. She has not been boosted. She actually was the one who got hit the hardest. Sure. She and, ran 100. And from 100. what I'm understanding with that, I mean, that would be consistent with the uh, information that we received and the importance of making sure that you have your booster and uh, have as much uh, vaccination as possible. Tracy, I appreciate your story because that does bring up a jumping off point. Uh, doctor, recently uh, the, it was announced the White House is going to be uh, advising people that they're planning a rollout if it gets FDA approval of uh, vaccine for uh, youth five and under uh, that might roll out as early as June 21st. Do you have any other information about this that you could share with people about uh, potentially having the entire population have access to a vaccine? Absolutely, Nick. This is a great point. And and Tracy's story is a really fantastic one, too. It just illustrates the importance of being boosted and, and completely consistent with all the data and scientific information we have about how the boosters work. So the new vaccine uh, recommendations we hope will be coming out in June. The way it's going to work, if all goes well, is the FDA Advisory Committee. This is the VERPAC Committee chaired by Dr. Arnold Monto. Um, that committee will meet in early June, and right now it's slated for around June 8th. Once they review all of the data, so they're going to look really, really carefully and scrutinize all the clinical trial data, including um, some data we actually have from here in Michigan. And one of the things that they're going to be looking at is safety of the vaccine. This is number one. For anyone listening, one thing I can guarantee you, the investigators, the manufacturers, the FDA committee members are absolutely focused like a laser beam on the safety of the vaccines, particularly in this age group under five. Second thing, immune response. Is the vaccine giving a good immune response with the amount of antigen in this vaccine? And everyone should know that the vaccine for younger children is a lower antigen content. It's less, um, less of the spike protein antigen and mRNA in the vaccine, um, and it's tailored specifically for this age group. And then the third thing we're looking at is vaccine efficacy. Does it prevent disease, hospitalization, severe outcomes? And that committee is going to scrutinize this data, and they're going to come up with a decision. They'll vote on it in early June. From there, it goes to the ACIP committee at CDC, uh, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. And ACIP will review the data again. They'll look at everything that the FDA looked at, and then they'll also look at how the vaccine might be introduced in the United States, how pediatricians' offices would use it, and what other places the vaccine could be offered. At that point, once the ACIP committee looks at it, they'll vote on it, and then from there, we'll have access to the vaccine if they vote positively to um, recommend the vaccine for this age group. Tracy, that was a very wonderful story and really helpful in uh, supporting the points that the doctor has been bringing up today. Thank you so much for sharing it and uh, calling us here on Detroit Today. Uh, doctor, we have another comment that just came on Twitter from Carl, who says, I'm vaxxed and boosted. I'm attending a wedding and a reception this weekend. I'll be masked except when eating dinner. 
Should I be concerned? And I think that highlights a concern we all have. We want to go through the steps of what we need to do. We think we're protected, but there are just situations where in events like this, even when you're doing the best, sometimes you got to take the mask off. What would you say uh, to Carl? Mm -hmm. This is a really important point. Very common scenario. In fact, I think Carl's in a good spot right now. He's got the primary series. He's been boosted and he's going to be taking a mask and wearing a mask. For sure, when he's eating, he won't be able to wear the mask, and that's obvious. If Carl's in a situation, the weather is good, and they have an outdoor space where he can meet people, talk, or even eat during the wedding, um, that would be great. Um, I think when you're in a wedding situation, the other thing, too, of course, that you're going to be aware of is, um, in, in Carl's situation, he's in a good spot because he'll be wearing a mask if it's indoors, uh, for example, in the reception, he'll be able to wear the mask indoors. But if he's outdoors, he could potentially go without the mask if he can also uh, social distance. That's ideal. Um, but being outdoors will help avoid the close contact and the really close exposure that he might have um, when he's indoors. Um, Carl's in a good situation. That's the ideal situation. If I could recommend to everyone um what Carl is doing is exactly what I would do, in fact. Um, getting boosted, make sure you got the booster on, take your mask, wear the mask. Um, if you're indoors, if you're outdoors, enjoy the weather and uh, just maintain vigilance around your, uh, in your surroundings. If, if you see someone that doesn't feel well, um, the other thing you can do is kind of find another person to talk to and avoid, avoid individuals that um, maybe are not feeling well. Um, coughing or, or report being sick. So, you know, I, that, I, I hope it helps. I love that point because uh, sometimes uh, even when I'm out, right, you think, okay, I took the mask off to eat. Uh, should I even put it back on? Have I, has the seal been broken? But from what I'm hearing from you, it, it, the more time on with the mask, the better for all of us, right? It, it's true, especially in indoor environments where you're in close quarters where you can't social distance. That's, that's where you want to be wearing the mask. Thank you. And coming up, we still have one more call. In fact, I'll take it right now. Scott and Warren, go ahead with your question for Dr. Kilgore. Hi. Uh, yeah. I was wondering about vitamin D. I don't hear very much about it. And uh, some of the people, some of the doctors that I listen to um, say how important that is. Um, makes a huge difference of uh, whether you get the uh, COVID-19 seriously or not. Yeah. Uh, well, so, that it, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I know you don't have much time, but this is a very important point. And really one of the things I think everyone can think about doing, I, I mentioned earlier, going in to do a checkup with your doctor. This is a conversation that is really best to have with your doctor and or pharmacist, because one of the things that we know is that vitamin D is integral to a really well-functioning immune system. If you're low in vitamin D, your immune system is not going to be in really best fighting condition, and you want to make sure that your vitamin D levels are good. Of course, in Michigan, with our cloudy weather and long winters, one of the things that we know is that people can become vitamin D deficient. And if you're vitamin D deficient, you're going to be less able to fight off not only COVID-19, but other diseases or pathogens as well. So one of the things you can do is talk with your doctor. They can actually check a vitamin D level. And in fact, I had mine uh, checked a few years ago. It was low and I began supplementing with vitamin D. So first step is talk with your doctor, consider checking that level of vitamin D and then go from there with their recommendations. Vaccinations, boosters, masks, vitamin D, maintaining your health levels, a wealth of information today. Dr. Kilgore, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again for coming on Detroit Today. Thanks very much, Nick. That is our discussion with Dr. Paul Kilgore, but doesn't end our discussion about COVID. Coming up, Dr. Nick Gilpin joins us from Beaumont Health to talk about how local hospital systems are faring with this recent surge. Keep it locked right here as Detroit Today continues in just a moment. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. 
It's Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Medical professionals have borne the brunt of the pandemic, and the last couple of years, hospitals have been described as war zones. Many healthcare workers are reporting things like post-traumatic stress disorder, and this is partly because individuals in extremely high-stress situations, often described as too much, too soon, and too fast, have to make life-or-death decisions. Many patients also experience delays with other medical crises, while healthcare workers from various specialties flock to emergency care to help lighten the load. All this was during the worst of the pandemic. To check in with how our hospitals are currently faring in Metro Detroit, Dr. Nick Gilpin is here from Beaumont Health. Dr. Gilpin is the Medical Director of Infection Prevention, and I want to thank you so much, Dr. Gilpin, for being with us here today. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. So I have to ask, you know, it seems like everything was terrible. We were hearing so much about the doctors, what's happening in the ER and emergency departments all the way through about March of 2020. And then people just kind of stopped talking about you in the mainstream uh, world and news media. How have things changed for Beaumont since March of 2020? Oh my gosh, so much has changed. Um, you know, and some, some things will probably never be the same. Um, and, and when you go back in time to March of 2020, our first big tidal wave of COVID that we had, uh, there was at one point where we were caring for more than 1,300 COVID patients in our eight hospital system, which is it's just a number, but it, I mean, that's just an, an unbelievably high number of COVID patients to have in your hospital at one time. And COVID patients are very resource intensive, right? They, generally speaking, they, they need private rooms, they need oxygen, they need um, pretty intimate nursing care uh, to make sure they, you know, that, that they're getting what they need in the hospital. And yeah, it was, those were difficult times. And, you know, as time has worn on, we've seen subsequent surges. We've seen actually about four, what I call four big surges. Um, and, and each surge has taken a, a little bit more of a bite out of us uh, in some fashion. And each surge has kind of had its own flavor, if you will. Uh, so the first surge was really the worst in terms of numbers and the fact that, that no one really had any experience with COVID. The current situation we're seeing in the hospital is really we're fortunate that COVID is not causing as severe disease, thankfully, um, but it's no less uh, of a burden on the healthcare system because, again, these patients can be resource intensive. They need private rooms. Nursing care has to be, uh, you know, with, with lower nurse-to-patient ratios than what you would see for, uh, for, for patients without COVID, for example. And um, all of that takes a toll over time. And yes, it's fair to say that our healthcare system has taken a hit and our healthcare workers are pretty exhausted taking care of COVID. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people, since we don't get to see what's happening in the emergency room, in the uh, ED, the emergency departments every day, sometimes it can be out of sight, out of mind. As it exists right now, can you tell people about what type of struggle there is currently for people on the front line dealing with the pandemic? For sure. So let me let me use some numbers to kind of illustrate. So right now, uh, June 9th, we have about 160 COVID patients in our eight hospital system, which is about 40% less than it was a couple of weeks ago. So numbers do seem to be getting better. Um, the positive test rate in the community, is, as your last guest had talked a little bit about this, we're seeing that sort of start to go down. So things are ever so slightly starting to improve from a community transmission perspective, and that's translating to perhaps fewer hospitalizations. And, and overall, the trend is moving in a favorable direction. Among those patients that are in our hospital with COVID, like I said, we're seeing relatively low acuity or disease severity. About half of the patients that are admitted to our hospitals with COVID are here for other reasons. You know, they're either mildly symptomatic and they're here for some other problem uh, like trauma or like a surgical issue, for example. We have very few, thankfully, patients in our ICUs currently with COVID. About 10% of all of our COVID patients are in the ICUs. And it's about 50-50 vaccinated to unvaccinated uh, overall. So in general, I think it's, it's, like I said, it's getting better. I think our system can bear this burden. We're, we're not having to uh, turn away from sort of the ordinary 
services that we provide to the community, like elective surgeries and imaging and lab services, we're still able to provide all those key services without COVID getting in the way. And again, that's that's a good thing for us. Yeah, that is a very good thing. And I think it's a good thing for the rest of Metro Detroit. But as hospitals look forward, uh, what types of things are you doing to prepare for uh, any future issues that we might have with surges in terms of COVID? So in, in my world, infection prevention, you know, we we're, we're learning lessons with each surge, right? And, and like I said, each surge has a little bit of a different flavor. And we have to sort of, uh, you know, move with whatever uh, whatever cards were dealt. So right now, the, the current situation is unique in that the community numbers are very high, but the hospital numbers are relatively low. And what makes that kind of unique for us is that the patients aren't as sick. And so we're frequently getting questions like, you know, how long do these patients need to stay in isolation for? Can we let them out of isolation earlier if they're not showing symptoms? And so we're having to deal with a lot of those questions in real time. We're also still dealing with a fair number of healthcare workers that are getting sick with COVID because healthcare workers are people too. And they go to weddings and they go to bars and they go to restaurants and they get COVID just like the rest of us do. So we're having to deal with staffing shortages. I would say um, our biggest challenge as a healthcare organization, and I think other healthcare systems in Southeast Michigan would echo this sentiment, biggest challenge is staff. It's making sure that we have a pipeline to recruit and retain uh, nurses, uh, physicians, other health uh, care provider services, just to make sure that we can keep the lights on in our hospital going forward. Because the reality is we don't really know where COVID is going to go six months from now. We can speculate that hopefully disease will continue to be mild and waves will get shorter and shorter over time, but there's certainly no guarantee that that will be the case. The importance of having good staff in all industries, and especially this one, I hear you there, doctor. Uh, We've got phone lines. We've got Daniel in Detroit with a question. Daniel, you're next on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on. You know, um, I have a unique experience because um, my wife had COVID. She had symptoms for one day. I got it from her. I was sick for about four or five days, but one of my employees got it early on, and he got the original strain, which attacked your lungs, and he's now on the list for a lung transplant, Oof. Um, which is tragic. Yeah. He's given us a two-month notice. He's leaving our company, and he's one of the pillars and of our company, which is tragic. But the, the, my, my question to your, your, to your guest today is, it, the world has stated that about 70 percent in the 70 percentile range of people that have been affected severely by COVID had pre-existing conditions or they were elderly and I was wondering if he could tell us what percentage of the people that were hospitalized in his system had pre-existing conditions or elderly and the second part of my question is it's the world has stated that children are not affected by this disease. It's less than 1% of children that get this disease that are hospitalized or that have, even have severe conditions. And if, if it's less than 1%, why are we producing a vaccine for that? And why are we injecting all these babies and telling these parents that they should get it? Now, I know the reason is that they're protecting people in the household. Well, there you but go. If there's no pre, if there's no pre-existing conditions and no elderly in the household, you should not be putting this in your kids. Uh, well, we have the question, Dr. Gilpin. My instinct would be that when you have disease vectors running around the school, that could be bringing yep. it to other people. That that might be a reason. But I'll let you go ahead and take it. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. And Daniel, I appreciate the question. I think this is something that the, the FDA, when they look at the data and whether or not the vaccine is safe and effective in the population that we're, we're going to be looking at shortly, which is the six-month to five-year crowd, these are the questions that they're going to have to ask. And, and they're going to have to say, is, the, is, is any risk um, uh, beaten by the benefit of getting vaccinated? And I think Nick's point is right on. You got to consider what's going on in the household. We often don't know who patients are that have underlying medical conditions because either they have not had the benefit of being seen by a doctor recently or whatever that may be. 
And to the first part of your question about the proportion of patients we're seeing in the hospital with underlying medical conditions, I would say it's the majority. And I would say with each surge, and I can't quote you a, a, an exact percentage, but with each surge, the, by far the predominant proportion of patients in the hospital has been, have been unvaccinated individuals, and they've been patients with underlying medical conditions or elderly patients uh, who are coming in with, with COVID. Fortunately, the younger, the healthier, the people without medical conditions, we're not seeing them in the hospital as often, but we do still see them. And that includes kids. And right now we have about 10 to 15% of all of our COVID patients in the hospital are kids. Fortunately, a lot of them are not sick, but that's still an opportunity for the virus to infect others. And I would just say that there's still a tangible risk to vulnerable populations uh, out there right now. And, and that's every, all the more reason why we need to get vaccines in arms as quickly as possible. The more we as a population see COVID, whether by getting the infection the old-fashioned way or by getting vaccinated, the disease severity should continue, hopefully, to decline, you know, barring any bad mutations that may come down the pipe. It's very good. Daniel, I do appreciate your thoughtful question and call. It was very helpful. And Dr. Gilpin, I appreciate you coming on Detroit today. That's a fantastic first name you got there. Uh, I knew that you were going to be good when we brought you on. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick. You have been listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. The show's produced by Sam Corey and Lisa John Rogers. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, and Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Tune in tomorrow when we'll talk to a few local reporters about the most pressing environmental issues facing Detroiters, and we'll see you tomorrow on Detroit Today.